suffering. There is a reason why we suffer, and we all do, and it is a godly reason. We're going to take a look at the reason we suffer and the benefits and the outcome of suffering. It's all straight ahead on Graceful Truth. Join us in Romans 8. Paul says that our suffering is light and momentary compared to the weight of eternity that awaits us. Today, we continue our look at Romans chapter 8. We'll be in verses 18 through 27 today as we continue our series, Three Groans for Glory. Please join us as we examine the suffering that we are promised, why, and what the outcome will be. With today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. You can turn over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And I'll begin reading in verse 18 and just read down through 27. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from, the bond, from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And then this will be our text for today, verse 23. And not only the creation, but also ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, just a quick little review here. We've been looking at these three groans for glory, as they're mentioned there, the groan of creation, the groan of the believer, and also the groan of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And we looked last week at the creation and how it's groaning to be freed from the futility of sin that it was uh, captured by in the curse. And we looked at uh, verse 19, Creation's longing uh, for this this uh, revealing of the sons of God, because when the sons of God are revealed, when we reach our glorified state, the creation will reach its glorified state. Okay, and so that's what that is is all about. And so we we talked about the creation longing to be um, released from the curse, and also that it was subjected not willingly, it says, but by God. In other words, God put upon creation a curse because of the sin of Adam and Eve. 
And so when you stop and you think about it, um, one little sin caused all the mess we see today. That should cause us to pause every time we're tempted to sin and realize, wow, this is serious stuff. This isn't something that's just you know, swept under the rug by God. This sins have, Sin has consequences. Even though our sins are being forgiven, even though they've been paid for by the work of Christ on the cross, as believers, we should never take sins that creep into our lives lightly, thinking, oh, well, it doesn't affect anybody. It's just my little sin. Nobody knows about it. It will affect, and most of all, it affects God. It grieves God's heart. And so it says there that creation was subjected to this curse. And then we looked at how creation was going to be restored. It says in verse 21 of of Romans 8 there, For the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption. In other words, something's going to set it free. Today we have a lot of people in our society, environmentalists, that believe somehow the earth is getting better and we have to task of making everything better. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And eventually it's going to burn up. The only time that creation will be restored is when God, in his sovereign power, restores it. And we're going to look a little bit at that. But it's going to be set free one day from the curse. It is going to be set free by God. And then the last thing we looked at was the pain of creation. It says there that we know that the whole creation in verse 22 has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, up to this point. And when you go out and you look at creation and you realize how beautiful it is, think of what it looked like before the curse. It would have been incredible. It's still beautiful, but it's winding down. It's cursed by God because of sin. And so... We saw that creation is groaning. And we talked a little bit about the idea that the earth is going to be renewed. Um, He says here, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. And it talks about waiting for this with patience. Um, The Bible clearly teaches us that one day this world and, and the universe literally will be recreated by God. Everything we see around us is going to be wiped out. It's going to be destroyed. The present earth as we know it eventually will be restored. I mean will be destroyed and then restored by God. It's not going to happen in one big atomic bomb. It's constantly going on. The earth is growing tired. Revelation, in the book of Revelation, when you look in that that book, it describes various sequence of events that will occur in in the last days that will cause the earth to begin to just literally fall apart. It speaks of the sun being blackened. The moon will become like blood. The stars will fall. The waters of the earth, the Bible says, will be cursed. Both the salt and fresh waters. And there will be death everywhere. This all kind of begins since the curse, but it's going to pick up big time, probably about the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation. It says, from the midpoint, first three and a half years, 
After that point in the tribulation, the devastation upon the earth, the destruction of the earth is going to be amped up big time. And God is going to systematically destroy this present universe and all the people who are set against him. That's going to happen. Well, there's also going to be an establishment of the millennial kingdom. All right, after the seven year tribulation, which we will not be here for, I believe we'll be raptured out of here before the tribulation. Praise the Lord. After the tribulation, there will be a, a time of a thousand years where Christ and the saints will rule here on earth, literally. And that's the time when the Bible speaks of the desert blooming like a rose and the lion laying down with the lamb. Okay? It's not the final glorified earth. It's just something God is giving us a little glimpse of. And then eventually, at the end of the millennial kingdom, God will create a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21.1 says. And that will usher in what we know as the eternal state. Where Revelation 22.3 says there will be no more curse, there will be no more sin. That's when we will ultimately be, everything will be glorified. Well, creation longs to be loosed from that curse that it's enduring every day. And so do we. And that's going to happen when the tribulation and the millennium are over. And so you have to kind of keep that in mind when you read prophetic scripture. That it's not all referring to the exact same time. Now Paul here in Romans 8 isn't really referring to any of that. He's just saying generally this is what's going to happen. He's not giving us a lesson in eschatology. He doesn't, he's not concerned with how this is going to happen or when it's going to happen or what's the sequence of things. He's just saying, you know what, this is going to happen. God will restore creation and we will have glorified bodies. And so today we want to look at verse 23, the groan of believers. The groan of believers because we who are saved we who have put our faith and trust in Christ now can join together with creation and understand that you know what one day we're going to be freed from this curse one day the curse of sin will no longer be part of us and that's that groaning that word to groan has the idea of of being kind of changed from something that's hard to endure you don't want to be in that, that state. I remember in high school, we had a time in football practice. I don't know if they did it out here. They probably do it out here. They called it Hell Week. And literally, it was hell. I mean, it was horrible. In Pennsylvania, in August, humid, hot. And you had about a week or two of, of what they just drill you and drill you. And you had to do all these things, you know, eight hours a day. And I remember... In the middle of the week, thinking, is this ever going to end? You know, you're throwing up, you're getting sick to your stomach, everything's just, you know, it's, it's just a horrible time. But it's preparing you for something. And so you, you hold out hope that hopefully the coach knows what he's doing and eventually you'll have a winning team because you're going through this, this hell on earth, as we called it. Well, that's what God is doing for us. And so we have this groan for a desire to be released from the curse. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4 says, We that are in this tabernacle, in this body, do groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. 
The only way you're going to be glorified is to go through the trial of living here on this earth and one day being freed from this body. One day when you die as a believer pending the Lord's return, your soul goes to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. But where's your body? In the grave or burnt up or whatever. Um... But one day that body will be resurrected and rejoined and you will have a glorified body. Well, the Bible tells us that this adoption that we're talking about here, this process begins with the adoption. It says, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. Remember, the spirit of God is the one that's kind of doing this. He's he's the, the one that's proposing all this. Romans chapter 8 is really showing the Spirit's work in the life of the believer. And so he says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. So you read that and you say, well, wait a minute. What are we waiting for? I thought we were already adopted. When you put your faith, your trust in Christ and the work of Christ on Calvary, your soul was saved. Your soul was redeemed. The Bible says that the old inner man is gone. It's no longer around. Now you have a new inner man. And you're a new creation in Christ, the Bible says. An eternal work has been done in you by God. But you know what? You're still in this body. Your soul has been redeemed. Your soul is the new man. Just because you got saved doesn't mean you have a glorified body. No, you're still trapped in this sinful body. And so that's what he's speaking of here. He says, we're waiting for the adoption. I mean, technically, we've already been adopted, but we haven't entered into that full manifestation. Think about it. If you were in an orphanage and you were going to be adopted and all the paperwork was filled out, we have a family that used to come to Grace. They live on the East Coast now, but they adopted two boys from... I don't know if it's the Middle East or Africa. But anyway, they, they adopted two young teenage boys. And I remember when they were going through the process, they kept on saying, yeah, we got through all the paperwork. Everything's done. All we have to do is go pick up the kids. Make this trip over there. And see, it wasn't, it wasn't even though they were adopted, the process wasn't complete yet until they got them home back here in the States and began to live in their home. And so technically we've been adopted, but we haven't entered into that full manifestation of that adoption as of yet. And even though there it says we're already children of God, back in verse 16, when you walk around out there in the world, people don't probably look at you and go, oh, here comes a child of God, look out. No, they, they don't know, right? Because what, what has changed? Your inner, inner being, your soul has changed. Look over at 1 John chapter 3, because this kind of explains it for us. In pretty simple terms. 1 John chapter 3. Look at what it says here in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. Somebody ought to write a song. Oh wait, there already is one. So it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so... We are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. 
Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now, but we will be, uh, and what we will be has not yet appeared. See what he's saying? He's saying, we're, technically we're God's children now, but we're not fully manifesting that yet. But we know that when he appears, we shall what? Be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, we groan within ourselves as believers because we know that even though we've been adopted, even though technically we're children of God, we have to await for the redemption of our bodies. We have to wait for the glorification of our bodies. I'm having these pains in my um, hands. Like even when I play the piano, I'm both right here, the thumbs, you know, just kill me when I play the piano or when I do something on the keyboard. So I made an appointment with Kaiser, with the orthopedic surgeon, next Wednesday. So I don't know what he's going to say, but I thought, well, you know, this is very uncomfortable. It just hurts con- continuously. And I'm thinking, well, there's, there's going to be a day where I'm not going to have to worry about that. Right? I mean, there's going to be a day when our bodies are glorified to the state where we're not going to have to worry about knee replacements or cancer or anything. We're going to be totally glorified. And that comes when we see Christ. We will be like him. And only then is our adoption complete. Even though it says there we are called the children of God. But we have yet to match our redeemed souls with our redeemed bodies. And that's what we need to understand. That's why in in Romans, go back to Romans chapter 13. Look at Romans chapter 13 verse 11. Look at what Paul writes in verse 11 in Romans 13. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Look at what he says. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. What's he saying? That's a reference to the future aspect of our salvation. Salvation, you could kind of say, covers eternity past to eternity future. Because the Bible says that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We weren't around before the foundation of the world. That's eternity past. But God had already, in his mind, saved us then. But then we come to a point in time in our life where we hear the gospel, when we're here on this earth, and we respond to the gospel. We embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior. We give up our old worthless works and and acknowledge our sinfulness before holy God and we cling to Christ. And at that point, we are saved. But that salvation is not fully realized until we are, what? Glorified. And that's why it's so important to understand that God is in our salvation from beginning to end. And beginning starts way before you made your profession of Christ. Beginning starts back in eternity past. When you weren't even a glimmer in your parent's eye. God set his love upon you, the Bible says. So it speaks here of this this groaning that, that goes on in our lives. And it really talks about, first of all, not only the believer's adoption, that's going to happen. But also our hope. It talks about the salvation of our bodies. In Romans, one day our bodies will be fully glorified, fully redeemed. 
We have become a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul says, behold, all things have become new. We've become partakers of a new, what the Bible says in 1 Peter, or 2 Peter 1.4, a, a new divine nature. We are being made suitable for heaven. But right now, because we're here on this earth, we're held in bondage to this body. If you could get out of this body, <laughs> somehow, the only way I know of is to die. As a believer, once you die, you're freed from this body. You're, you're in the presence of the Lord. You're in a glorified state, even though your body's still here. And then your body will be reunited with your soul at the resurrection. And your body will be redeemed. Your body will be renewed. Your body will be glorified. So now we have to contend with the lusts and the desires and the thoughts of our body. And that's what Paul was talking about earlier, previously in Romans, when he talks about, you know what, man, I want to do what's right, but I can't. There's a struggle going on. You know, it's not a struggle between the old man and the new man. Some people teach that, well, you have the old nature and the new nature, and you got to decide who you're going to listen to. No, the Bible says very clearly the old nature, the old man is dead. It's buried. The struggle is between your new nature and your body (laughs) and this sinful world. That's where the struggle lies. Paul says in Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ and that the body of sin might be destroyed. The old man is who you were before Christ. That's gone. Don't think that you have some kind of a uh, dual personality between the old man and the new man and, and boy you've got to go through the struggle of, of thinking who you're going to listen to no you're just a glorified being in a fallen body and that's why Paul says in, in verse 13 of that, that same chapter there in, in Romans that he says don't yield your members as instruments to unrighteousness what is members talking about bodily body parts he's talking about this body And then in verses 17 and 18, he says, Thanks be to God, where we used to be servants of sin, we have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, being then made free from sin. We became servants or slaves of righteousness. That's what it tells us. And believers, we need to understand that we are not our own. You know, you hear people say, well, don't you think we have rights? No, we don't have any rights. We're servants of Christ. And we need to be reminded of that. Our new nature is free from sin. We've been transformed. But the humanness that possesses us is still the problem. And that's what we want to look forward to, the redeeming of this body. I mean, once the soul's redeemed and the body's glorified, man, that's heaven. That's where we'll be. And that's what Paul says there in in Romans 7. You know, we're not going to read through all that again. But that's what he talks about. He says, I know that in my flesh, in me, dwells no good thing. And he goes on and he explains that. That he wants to serve the law of God. Not the law of sin. There was a change. He was redeemed. But he still lives in a fallen body. And so when we come to Romans 8.23, that's why we're groaning. We're, We're saying, man, Lord, can we just get rid of this body? If we can get rid of this body, we know that it's going to be all good. 
Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.